0: right and even i love it that justin was like hey yeah let's as we worship the lord tonight let's let's just rest in the in the work that lord's done and celebrate that and 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 truly the joy of our salvation there's no greater celebrating than that right but this song is a song of celebration and, and, and a song of praise as it commands, I don't know if you were following it, but I counted it up here, it commands the people as a congregational thing to sing praises to the Lord who reigns over all the nations. That's, that's there five different times in this psalm. Now last week when we studied through Psalm 46, I pointed out that Psalm 46 could have been written in response to... Um, to an event recorded in 2 Kings and in Isaiah chapters 37 and 38. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, we're told how Sennacherib the, the, the Assyrian king or the king of Assyria, we're told how he had sent his armies um, into, into, into Judah to threaten and attack the city of Jerusalem, just come right outside the city walls. And this is where King Hezekiah was dwelling. King Hezekiah was a, a good king and he made a mistake, but, but he was a good king, he was a, a godly king, he feared God. But, but what we see is that had had come to the city of Jerusalem and he at this point had already taken over the northern kingdom completely, deported all the people from the northern kingdom, and he had conquered or defeated many of the the fortified cities already in Judah by this point. And so as he comes to Jerusalem, it looked as if Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Assyrians. But in fulfillment to the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah, God interceded, it says, on that very night, and he did so by killing 185,000 of the Assyrian army, the men in the army. And and, 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 and and he gave, it says, the Hebrew people a mighty victory without them even having to fight a battle. Consequently, this caused Shnakarib to flee the land of Judah. And shortly after returning to his homeland in in, in fulfillment to the to the words that Isaiah had prophesied, he was struck down with a sword by his own sons. He was assassinated. And, and, and those who 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 see this event as the backdrop for what was written in Psalm 46 also looks at, they also look at Psalm 47 as that response of praise for what God had done in relationship to that account in, 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 in 2 Kings chapter 18. And um, for the things that God had done, but even more so, what we see is is they're specifically um, um, uh, they they see Psalm forty seven as specifically the fulfillment of the promise that is given in Psalm forty six verse ten. Where it says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. And if you remember for reading at the very end of this psalm, the people declare what? The last verse, last line of the verse, He is greatly exalted among all the nations. And so they see Psalm 47 maybe as a, as a fulfillment to, the, to that, that statement made in Psalm 46 verse 10. Now, the interesting thing about this, this psalm, about Psalm 47, is that it's, that it's still read and it's still sung today in Jewish synagogues on a day called Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish New Year. And it's also uh, in conjunction with the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and these two events um, happen in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, which is called Teshiri, which is around, um, it's, it's like the end of our September, the beginning of our October. And um, the, 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 this feast begins, more importantly, what is known as a 10-day period of time that's referred to the, the 10 days of awe. And this is the time between the Feast of the Trumpets, which lasts two days, and the Day of Atonement. And during this time, faithful Jews prepare themselves for the Day of Atonement, which is also known as, as Yom Kippur. Right? You've heard that before. Which is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar and it's a day of prayer, it's a day of fasting, and it, historically it was a day when before when the temple still stood. It was a day when the high priest would would offer offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the people, going into the holy of the most holies with the blood of the animal that had been sacrificed and sprinkling it upon the ark upon the mercy seat. That was this day. Now, the command and instruction for this feast, the feast of trumpets, is found in Leviticus chapter twenty three And in verses 23 through 27, it says this, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath's rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord." And the only other reference to this feast in the Old Testament or in the entire Bible in itself in regards to commands and instructions is is given in Numbers chapter 29. And I'm not going to read that, but what I'm going to tell you is that neither one of these passages, whether it's Leviticus chapter uh, 23 and the verses that I just read, or Numbers Chapter twenty nine. None of those passages provide really any information for us regarding the original meaning of the feast. Even though there's some instructions, we're not really told exactly what this what this is all about. But there's a significant clue. It's not hard to find out. If there's a significant clue for us in um, in Leviticus chapter twenty three, if you remember where it where it says where the people are told by God that this is a feast as a memorial of the blowing of trumpets. And when we see this, when we look at this, we can we can understand or it indicates to us that the events that are to be remembered or that were to be remembered must have taken place prior to when this command was given, right? It wouldn't make no sense that it would be a memorial for something that hadn't happened yet. So you can look back through the Jewish history and, and see the connection to what's being made here. And the only significant event... At that time, in the nation's history, up to this point, that involved the blowing of the trumpets is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 19, which accounts the time when God had established the Mosaic Covenant with the children of Israel at the Mount Sinai. And it's pretty cool because at that time, the entire nation was, 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 was um, called to meet with God to enter into a covenant with him, to meet him at the foot of Mount Sinai when they heard the sound of the trumpet. And it wasn't a trumpet that the people were to blow, it was a trumpet that God was blowing. In light of this, and at the Feast of Trumpets, what we know is, is that the trumpets were sounded, as God had commanded, and they were sounded as a reminder to the Hebrew people that they were a people who were under a covenant, that they were a people who had entered into an agreement with God. That's what this memorial was all about. They were a nation who had accepted the responsibility of being God's people. In light of this, they would begin to prepare themselves, like I said, they would begin to prepare themselves The ten days of awe for that day of atonement, which was a time when they would repent. A time when they would find atonement for all that they had done to break that covenant. Now, we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the feasts. They ultimately all point to Jesus in some way, in some form, or some fashion. And can you guys turn the ACs back on? Set it at about 73? Cool to 73? Thanks. And so, as we consider that, we have to understand that Jesus is also the fulfillment of this Feast of Trumpets. And when we see that it's tied to a covenant, as we look forward, we must consider in light of the, the, the new covenant Jesus offers to us, or that we must see that, it, that, that this Feast of, of, of Trumpets is tied to the new covenant that Jesus makes with us. The new covenant that we enter into, a covenant according to Luke chapter 22, a covenant that has been established, it says, in the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us, as you know, that we receive the full and final atonement or payment that is provided to us by this new covenant. And and, and you know what? We remember this at a time of feasting also, which we refer to as communion. We're called to remember that every time we take communion together. And like this psalm is remembered yearly by the practicing Jews on the Feast of Trumpets, I also want to let you know it's, it's unfamiliar to us as Calvary Chapelites because we don't typically follow the liturgical church calendar. But if you're familiar with it, you'll know this. But, but this psalm, which is remembered by practicing Jews still to this day on the Feast of Trumpets, is also remembered yearly by the church in connection with the Ascension Day, or the Day of Ascension, which is one of the feasts on the liturgic calendars, and it's done so to commemorate the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the reason for this is because of verse 5. If you look to verse 5, it says, God has gone up with a shout, and the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Okay, now in light of all this, <clears throat> there's a reason why I went through all this, not just to give you some cool Testament connections, but in light of all this, we can see how this psalm is a messianic psalm. It's prophetic in, in relationship to Jesus Christ, with an emphasis being placed on the future of God's kingdom, coming here, on the future coming of God's kingdom. You know, And, and, and when you begin to think about that, in light of this being a song of praise, it should cause us to also sing praises to the Lord who rules over all of the nations. Now, as the people of Israel, we read in this psalm, were being called um, to praise their God, we see that they make three declarations. And this is kind of how I want to tie it together to perhaps our own responses of praise today. That they were, given, they, they were being called to sing praises to their God, and, and in doing so, they make three declarations about Him. In other words, maybe even reasons or attributes of God for why we sing praises to Him. And in these first four verses, the declaration that is being made is that our God is an awesome king. And, and just begin to think about that as we go through this. Because I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you, but I think that's something that we can all relate to personally. A time or an instance or a situation where God has revealed Himself to us, Personally to be our awesome king. How has he done that? And as we look to verse one again in this Psalm, it says, it says, Oh, clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with the voice of triumph, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth, he will subdue the people under us and the nations under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us and the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. Just kind of a side note. Any time I read this, I'm personally reminded of Psalm 37, where it says, "Wait on the Lord, lean not on your understanding, trust in Him." And and it goes on to say a little bit later that that, yeah, that as we do this, that God will bring forth our justice as it was the noonday. And 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 the and and for me personally, I'm reminded of how God is an awesome King. Because God has revealed himself to me over and over and over again to be to my defender in those times when I need to be defended. That he's the one that brings forth my justice or my righteousness as if it was the noonday, meaning there's no shadow being cast. And, And my job is to wait on the Lord, to trust on him, to not lean on my own understanding. That's something for me personally, and there's lots of different examples that I can give to that. But I find it interesting as we begin to read this psalm and see it perhaps being in connection to Psalm 46, I find it interesting that we're moved from Psalm 46 verse 10, which commands us to be still, we're moved from that place of being commanded to be still to the place now where we're told to clap, to shout, and, and to blow the trumpet. But you know what, this once again illustrates the fact that our praise and our worship of God is a response. It's a response to knowing who God is. It's a response to, to seeing what God does. And that's what I hope we can, we can share with each other tonight, is, 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 is how we know who God is. How do you know that He is the awesome King? How has He shown you by what He does that He is the awesome King? And to know God is to know the one who is awesome, right? Awesome in all that he is, awesome in all that he says, and awesome in all that he does. And in light of using this word awesome, um, I want to point out to you that it's it's the Hebrew word yar. and, And really, at its root, this Hebrew word yar, it means to fear, to revere. And I think it's important for us to understand this because the word awesome is something that we today use a lot. And we use it a lot to describe things um, in a certain way, perhaps that's not exactly how it's being used here to describe the Lord Most High who is the great King. He's not awesome like um, Alfonso's burritos are awesome, you know? It's not the same kind of awesome. And, and I just want to give clarity to that, you know, exactly what we're referring to here. It's just the word yar, to fear. He is awesome. He's to be feared. He's to be revered. Why? Because he's the great king. He's the Lord God. And it's a reminder for us that God, listen, it's a reminder for us that God who is loving, God who is forgiving, God who is gracious, God who is merciful, and God who is kind is also the Almighty God who rules and reigns over all of creation. He is the one who we profess to be the Lord of our lives. And even though many individuals and in many nations are currently rebelling against God, against Him, the truth is, is He being the awesome God, the Almighty God, He's still in control. He's still in control of all things. Furthermore, furthermore the Bible tells us there's a day, as we know this, there is a day coming when, when these people... And these nations who hate God and hate God's people will be made to bow their knee to our God. He is the awesome God. He's the awesome king. But in the meantime, we can't forget that even though things may not go our way or go in a way that we expect, it does not mean that our awesome king has somehow lost control. It doesn't mean that he somehow stepped off the throne or been taken off the throne. And even though others may not consider our God to be an awesome king, our King to be an awesome king who is worthy to be feared or who is worthy to be revered, we can't lose sight of this. We can't lose sight of this because when we remember that God is awesome, you know what happens? We're given an assurance. When we know that our God is awesome, that He is an awesome King who is to be revered, who is to be feared, who is the Almighty, who, 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 who rules and reigns, when we, when we are when we, we're reminded of that, we have an assurance, and we have a confidence in the fact that He is able when we are not. Fill in the blank. It means that He is able when we are not. And if you look back to the account in Second Kings, with with king hezekiah and the hebrew people and the king of assyria god is able god was able when they were not who's experienced that in their own lives when you were not god was able that's just that's that's the that's an opportunity to sing his praises about how he is the awesome king not only that 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 We can get this assurance and this confidence also when we keep in keep in mind that, uh, and when we realize, when we know that God's the awesome King, we 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 can have an assurance and confidence in the words that Paul spoke or wrote of in Romans chapter eight, right? Because in Romans chapter eight, Paul declared how there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from God's loving care or God's loving protection of us. He's the awesome King. And our God is an awesome king. You know it? And we should sing His praises. And so I would like to hear, in relationship to that declaration and singing of a praise, is there anyone who can, who can share an experience or a situation or, or how you know that God is an awesome king? Is there anyone? Yes. Yes. Amen. Anybody else? How's God your awesome king? Come on, don't be shy. Was that a hand? Oh. Rich? Oh, I, I saw your eyeballs. God brought it right to you, huh? God brought the Jordan to you. Wow. What an awesome God. He knows us intimately and personally. It's a pretty cool thing. Look at verse 5. In verse 5... It says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Like I said, this has some messianic implications in in regards to the ascension that the church sees uh, and in a liturgical calendar, we we celebrate that. And um, um, as we look at verse five, I want to point out that the truth is, and I just want to make some, give some doctrinal clarity, not for anything, but just to get our minds straight as we go forward. I know you all know this, but the fact of the matter is, guys, God's presence, it fills heaven and earth, right? God's everywhere, you know? He, he, his presence fills both the heaven and the earth. But the cool thing is, and this is, we have to understand, there's God's point of view, God's perspective and man's perspective, which is limited. And God, I love it in the Psalms. I don't remember which Psalm it is, but it tells us basically God knows us. He, he knows that we're, we're, we're flesh, that we're made from the dirt of the earth, from the dust of the earth. He knows our limitations. He knows our abilities. He knows our understandings. And he meets us right where we're at. And this is even in regards to Scripture. And, and I point this out because when we read about God intervening on the earth, On behalf of his people, okay, when we read about God intervening on this earth, on behalf of his people, the Bible often speaks of God as coming down, condescending. And and we have a God who does this for us. For example, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 5, we're told that God came down, it says, and he visited the Tower of Babel. We all know what happened there. And in doing so, God judged the people who were building it. Also, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 21, it tells us that God came down to investigate the wicked city of Sodom and he destroyed it. And then, in relationship to this account that we've been reading about in, in 2 Kings, which is also in Isaiah chapter 37, in Isaiah chapter 37, in relationship to the, what the Lord did for King Hezekiah and the Hebrew people um, when Sennacherib came, it says that on that night, it was the night that Isaiah prophesied and said, God's going to do this, don't worry. On that very night that the Lord, that, or on that very night that 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, this is in Isaiah chapter 37, were slain, slain by an angel, and it says that God had come down and brought judgment, and then that he went back up. And that he went up, it says, in great glory to his holy throne. But without a doubt, as we see, Jesus is the fulfillment of the of the Feast of Trumpets and the Covenant, and all these things being connected together. That, without a doubt, the greatest example of God coming down to intervene on the earth, and then to return to heaven in great glory. The greatest example is seen in our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Emmanuel, God with us. You know, the Apostle Paul he wrote about this. in in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And he did so by quoting Psalm 68, verse 8. And and he applied that Psalm 68, verse 8, to the ascension of Jesus Christ, and he said this. It said, When he ascended on high, he led those who were in captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he says, quote-unquote, He ascended. This, he ascended, he says, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill, it says, all things. And when we consider the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, we see that from our point of view. From the human point of view, Jesus' crucifixion was a great defeat from a human point of view. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to speak to um, a lady not too long ago who, who, who I think has a measure of faith that God's bringing her along in her walk. And um, I'm trying to be careful about how I say this but we were talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And and from her limited point of view and from her limited human understanding of things, she goes, I just don't get the cross. I don't understand the crucifixion. And it gave me an opportunity to share God's point of view, right? God's understanding of the crucifixion. But the truth is, is from our point of view, his crucifixion was a great defeat. Not only was it a great defeat, it was an awful tragedy. But this was not... But this is, this, this, this is what not God's, this is not God's viewpoint. God doesn't see it this way. And through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He won, right? Through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, He won the victory over the world, over the devil, and over the death, and in doing so, with His death on the cross, He satisfied, he satisfied all of God's all the claims of god's holy law so that we could believe receive and be saved this is what is proclaimed in colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 which says this it says and you we me us being dead in our trespasses and in the uncircumcision of our flesh it says he has made us alive together with him god has made us alive together with jesus having forgiven all of our trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements in the law that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He's taken it out of the way. How? Having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers. And it says that He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. In other words, what Paul's telling us in there, it's like with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, it's like Satan... And all of those demonic beings shouted out with joy. They thought they had won. But it was, the great, it was the great pull the carpet out from underneath you because Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over it because we know that the death on the cross was just the means by which Jesus would pay the debt that we owed and that he would raise from the grave three days later and then ultimately ascend to his Father in glory. And we know that having won this great victory that Jesus then went up to heaven and that he is now far above every enemy, not only in in, in geographical position, but in power and authority. He is above every enemy where he now sits at the right hand of God. And this is where it gets real personal. It says he now sits at the right hand of God as our great high priest or as our triumphant king. That's that's this next reason for why we sing praise. This is this next declaration. He is not only our awesome king, he is our triumphant king. Think about that for a second and what that means to us. He is our high priest. He is our triumphant king who lives forever to make intercession for us. Now, one of the obvious reasons for why we sing praises to God for for giving us this triumphant King, Jesus, who has gone up to heaven, is that we, think about it, as now citizens of God's kingdom, of His kingdom, that means that we too are victorious. There's a battle been fought, and we've been found to be on the winning team. Our King is a conqueror, our King is victorious. Victorious over the sin and victorious over the death, we're told that held us captive and with this realization that the battle has been won, you know what that first affords to us? It affords to us a great joy. We receive a great joy. Furthermore, it's a reminder for us that the battles that we fight, guys, this is where it gets personal because it's a reminder for us that the battles that we fight, meaning the war against our flesh and against our sin nature, are fought from a place of victory. You've already won. We've already won. The enemy's been defeated. We fight from a place of victory. A victory that has already been won for us through the death, resurrection, and ascension into glory by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our triumphant King. And, you know, and this is so comforting to remember because sometimes, I don't know about you, but when it comes to the battle that's going on inside of me between the spirit and the flesh, it feels like I'm losing. but our God is a triumphant king who's won the battles and we should sing his praises. So again, who can sing a praise of understanding and knowing God as your triumphant king? Anyone? Don't be shy, Chuck. You got that smirk. Give it to us. This side of the Red Sea, or even before all the hundred eighty five thousand get wiped out, that we are singing these things. Amen. Yep, and one of the things that gives us that confidence in in regards to the future battles that we know we're going to fight, which really are the battles that the Lord's fighting, is that He's already won so many battles for us. You know what, guys, I've been delivered and set free from so many things that have held me in bondage and ruined my life. Now, there's still a lot more left to go. And I, and that's where I can relate to the, I can truly say that sometimes it feels like I'm losing the battle. God, I can't, I can't, I'm, I'm being, I feel like you, sometimes you feel like you're losing, like you've been defeated by your own sin, by your own flesh, by your own desires, you know, the, the pride and, and all of that, just part of who we are but guys, it's been won. And not only has it been won, but God says he's put his spirit, our triumphant king has put his spirit in us to fight the battle, the battles of the Lord's. And when you realize that, Chuck, when you realize what you're saying, that you can sing the praises even before it happens, it puts us in that place where we humble ourselves before God into that place where we go, okay, God, you're the one that has to fight it anyway. I surrender. I wait upon you. I lean upon you. I trust in you, not on my own understanding. Because here's the opposite of it, guys. When we, when we forget that He's our triumphant King who's won and fought the battles, there's no joy. We live in that place of bondage. You've heard me say it before. There's so many Christians who live in that prison cell that's been opened up. They, 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 live, they live as if they're still in chains. And God has broken those chains and He set us free. He's the triumphant King. Somebody share. How God's your triumphant king. Sing a praise to us about him. Come on, be honest, be open, be vulnerable. Yes, Cindy. That's the other thing about a king who's victorious. There's nothing that can stand in his way. And his will will be done. In spite of us. In spite of the fact that Rich wasn't qualified. You know? And I don't know if you were or if you weren't, but Cindy kind of presented it that way, so I'm just going to jump on that bandwagon. You know, praise God. (laughs) Somebody else. Okay. Uh, I keep, yes, give it to us. Yeah, he's greater than any circumstance or any power that comes against us. You know, when my wife and I got married, man, we were in, we were in what everybody thought was a, 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 a sure failure of a marriage. I mean, the, we had everything wrong and everything going against us, and, and I wasn't a believer. But, because God's victorious, and, and he was for our marriage, and he brought us to that place, we've been, this next Sunday... 23 years. And and so I'll jump right on what you said, because it is only because God's a triumphant king. And he gives us the victories. You know, that's the cool thing about the covenant. And you, you tie all this together, guys, and you look at how this is spoken of about with the Feast of the Trumpets and how that Feast of the Trumpets was preparation for that time You know, as a reminder for the people, okay, you're in a covenant. And we're in a covenant with God. And we're imperfect. And the Hebrew people were imperfect. They failed on their end of the deal over and over and over again. But the Feast of Trumpets was not only a reminder of the covenant that they're in, it was an opportunity for them to prepare themselves to repent of their failures and to receive the forgiveness or the atonement that was needed through the sacrifice of the lamb. Fortunately for us, we have a better covenant, a new covenant, you know, but it's still the same deal based upon the fact that God knows that that we can't do it, but he's still for us. He's still for us. Amen. All right. In verses six through nine, it all comes to this, and it says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises for God. He is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together the people of God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Now, as you read this, I want to make this really clear. And what we're being told here, in other words, is that our God is the King of kings. That's, that's a summarization of what you're reading here. I know Rich quoted that a little bit earlier when he was speaking about you know God being a God of the entire earth, and that's spoken of here, but it's not in that same context in relationship to God being King of kings, Lord of lords. He is he's the King of kings, and, he's this, and this is the third declaration that, the, that is being made by the psalmist in relationship to singing the praises of God. And like I said, we know there's a time, right? We know there's a time coming when Jesus is coming back. He's gonna come back and he's gonna snatch us out. We're gonna have a seven-year feast in heaven. But there's a time when he comes back in power in glory, and glory and, and and he brings us with him. And, and at that time, he will return to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. He will have a literal throne in heaven, or I mean in Jerusalem. And he says, we're told at that time he will reign over all of the earth. But when we consider these verses, which speak of God being King of the Earth, this is more so of a declaration that he is right now God of all or or he 's willing to be the God of all and i don 't just mean God in the sense where he 's to be awesome, revered, and feared, but God where he wants everybody to know him as their Lord and as, his, as, as their Lord and as their savior he 's the god of of all he 's the God of all to every person, to every people of every tribe and to 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 the, to every person of every nation, to to the people of every nation. In other words, God is not simply the God and the King of Israel. He's not the God of the Jews, right? He's a God to the Gentile as well. He is the King of all the earth. He is willing to be a God to anyone who will call upon Him. And man, there is so much hope in this for that because what I'm thinking of about that when I hear that is I, remind, I remember the verses that says is his hand too short to save? No, it's not. Who did Jesus die for? It says that he died for everyone. For God so loved the world, the entire world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life he is the king of kings he's the God of all and that gives me great hope because I have family I have family who are unsaved and sometimes I lose hope I become really discouraged with their circumstances, their situation, their sin, their hard-heartedness. And I lose sight of the fact that God wants to be their God. He wants to be their King. He wants to be their Lord. And He gave His life on the cross and He shed His blood so that they could enter into a relationship with Him too. And if I understand that and see it in relationship to God is also in this place of authority, I know that He is still doing everything to reach them. He's calling out to them. He's crying out to them. You know, you talk about your daughter. You know? Think of those people who you love. But even more than that, as we, as we look to what, we, what God still can do, let's look back to what God has done in those people, not only in our lives, but those people, that person where you go, I never... Thought that person would get saved. Let me tell you a story. There was I worked for this guy. His name was Bill Lewis, and um, I had uh, I did a very good relationship with my dad. And 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 uh, I was it's it, not necessarily because of my dad. I'm not, but because I just was a knucklehead. I mean, I was rebellious. I was hard-hearted. I was involved in drugs and alcohol. I didn't want to have anything to do with authority, but there was this guy named Bill Lewis who had this construction company, and he hired me, and, and he did more than hire. He hired me basically to be an expediter. All I did was, was deliver parts to job sites and materials, and it, and it, it was in the Hanford Nuclear Reservation, so you, people couldn't get in and out very well. I had to be somebody with security clearance, and so it was, it was necessary to have people run materials in and out. That was my job. But I can't tell you how many times I'd show up in the morning to go, what, what are we going to do? And he'd go, we're going hunting. Or we're going fishing. And all that guy did was just love on me. I didn't even realize it in the time. He never did it in any other way and just said, you're going with me. This is what we're doing. And not only would he pay me for the day, but we would go fishing and we would go hunting. Things that I love to do. Well, this guy ended up um, having an affair on his wife with the secretary. And I'd lost contact with him, and um, I had found out through the grapevine that he had gotten cancer and he was going to die. And I, I I'd never, and we had already moved here. Well, we had gone back for vacation, and we had gone to our church back home. And um, I'm, I'm in there, and we're visiting, and I'm singing, and we're worshiping the Lord. And um, you know, it, it gets to the end where you turn around and greet somebody, you know, who's next to you, and 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 the person that's in front of me who I can't see who it is turns around and greets me and it's Bill Lewis. That's the last person I expected to see in church that day in front of me. I had invited him to church after I got saved. I had witnessed to him. He was a a, a rich, rich dude who was hard-hearted and had no business for Jesus Christ in his life. He was a good guy. He was a kind man. But he wanted nothing to do with God, Jesus, the Bible. Well, God used that cancer in his life to lead him to him, and God saved him. And that was my God was Bill Lewis's God. And Bill Lewis is now in heaven. His sin's been forgiven because God is the King of Kings. And he can save those people who we lose hope in. He can, and he will, and he wants to. He's died for them. So I sing that praise to you today, knowing and giving myself even just that assurance and confidence and hope that he is, because there's other people I know of where it seems like it's, it's impossible. How can that happen? How about you guys? Can you sing a praise of God being this kind of king? The king over all the earth, who's given his life for everyone to be saved? Anyone? We're wrapping it up. You don't have much time. Encourage us. Come on. Shocky. Curtis. <laughs> you have any stories like that? <laughs> That's your mom and dad. <laughs> yeah guys, our God's hand is not too short to save. He's the king over all the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that we could join together and study your word and and reflect on who you are and then associate that to our own lives and share it with one another. God, I pray that we go from this place encouraged and strengthened and prepared, Lord, for whatever you have for us. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.